you go into a relationship saying, I want to be more this or more that or more avoidant or more accessible, as opposed to here I am with this person in this moment in time. What do I really want right now? It's about coming from the inside and feeling your way through life rather than coming from the outside and imposing a system that you and your partner have to fit into. Curiosity. It is one of the great attitudes of life. Today's guest is Dr. Michael Pariser, who's a therapist in California, and he lives on a boat, which is pretty cool. Gotta love a guy who lives on a boat. We didn't get to talk about that in the interview, but I've always wanted to live on a boat. I think it's friggin' cool. Anyway, uh, Michael also wrote a book called No More Mystery, Nice Guy, The Hero's Journey, which should sound familiar for listening to the podcast or into men's development at all. We had Dr. Robert Glover, who wrote the original No More Mr. Nice Guy on last summer, um, and... Dr. Michael's book is a workbook guide that works off of the principles, um, off of the chapters of No More Mr. Nice Guy, but with hands-on practical things for a guy trying to get over nice guy syndrome, uh, to get over nice guy syndrome, integrate his masculinity, and succeed in relationships, in career, and in life. I came across the concept of nice guy syndrome and uh, Dr. Glover's book even a number of years after I'd already gotten over, or I thought I had gotten over what we call nice guy syndrome. But after reading um, Michael's book, I realized I actually have a lot of the patterns. Um, in fact, if anything, I just took what Michael calls the antidotes to certain problems, but I still had these insecurities. So this is a fun episode, particularly fun for me because we basically analyzed my patterns in a way that I hope is uh, useful to everyone else. We spoke about some uh, uh, topics that I love to cover on the podcast with a different lens uh, from Michael's perspective. The mother complex, what is referred to as monogamy with the mother, uh, father woundings. We speak about red pill and the pros and cons. We speak about child development. And uh, he definitely shares a lot of practical advice for intimate relationships, but also navigating life as a man. So I highly recommend if this uh, nice guy syndrome is something you're working on or something interesting to you, uh, or if you've read No More Mr. Nice Guy and found it hard to apply the principles, definitely check out Michael's book. It's on Amazon. And if you want to support the podcast, please use the link um, in the show notes because that sends me a little bit of a kickback, which is fun, but not necessary. Just read the book. It's a good book. And you can check out Michael's work uh, directly at drpariserTherapy.com. Right now, you're listening to episode 88, Dr. Michael Pariser, The Nice Guy's Hero's Journey. The Ruando Podcast is an exploration of the unconscious and the game of life. Be sure to visit ruando.com to get a preview chapter of my upcoming book, Infinite Play, and free access to my content library. Enjoy the show. We are live. Michael, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so we were connected by Dr. Glover, um, wrote number Mr. Nice Guy, uh, and you, you wrote a book that's coming out this week. Um, the Hero's Journey, uh, No Mr. Nice Guy, The Hero's Journey. I went through it. I love the concept. Um, before we dig into the material, could you share a little bit about your nice guy story? I know you worked with Dr. Glover and a lot of this book was driven by your personal life, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was, uh, 
Uh, I'm a recovering nice guy, like a lot of people out there. And I, I'm not the typical nice guy in that I'm not kind of compliant and passive. I kind of go the other way. I can be a bit of an, of an asshole sometimes. And, um, because I'm oppositional, but nonetheless, I still have the same underlying emotional dynamics. And that made the book really resonate for me. I thought that I had, you know, I was in therapy when I read the book and I thought I had like a zillion different issues. Like I was in the middle of a swarm of bees and reading Dr. Glover's book kind of made everything made sense. Like the, all suddenly the, the swarm of bees had a hive and a queen. It all made sense. And so I started working with nice guys. And at the same time, I trained with Dr. Glover and he and I became friends. And he comes up here sometimes and stays on the boat that I live on. And we have conversations and we, you know, shoot the shit about life and love and food and wine and women and everything. And so it's, it's become a, a really rewarding friendship in my life. And at the same time, that I was becoming friends with him, I was also working with a lot of nice guys. And what I discovered is what they told me, which is, hey, I really resonate with Dr. Glover's book, but I can't really fully utilize the breaking free activities to get where I want to go. Mm-hmm. There seems like there's a missing piece or there's, it's a longer, more complicated journey or path. And this is not really a full roadmap to get mm-hmm. there. And so I said to, I said that to Robert, Dr. Glover, and I, and I said to him, you need to write a workbook to go along with your book. And he said, I don't want to. So I said, I'll write it with you. And he said, I don't want to, you write it. So I wrote it. And it started out like as a simple companion workbook, almost like blank lines with a, a couple of sentence exercises, but it kept growing and growing. And, um, and then the hero's journey part got added in. And now what it is, is it's a complete kind of companion guide so that it follows for the most part, Dr. Glover's book chapter by chapter but it adds extra chapters and it adds more material. And with each chapter, it gives you like four different exercises to do. And with each exercise, there's a number of operationalizable steps and an example so that you can take this after you read No More Mr. Nice Guy, you can take my book and work through it exercise by exercise, chapter by chapter, and it will take you through a whole process of growth and change. 
Well, I'm curious. Um, so if you didn't see yourself as a nice guy uh, beforehand, what had you pick up his book in the first place? Oh, that's a, you know, I was like a lot of guys. I get motivated by things like failure, embarrassment, shame. I can't get laid. I can't, you know, my life doesn't work. And that was what was going on. I, I was having a particularly bad dry spell uh, with regard to women. And I thought, you know, okay, my whole life, I've never done this before. I've never like tried to pick up girls or I, I did in college and it, it didn't work well at all. And so, and I, I um, in fact, somebody was trying to teach me who was a really good pickup guy. It's just fabulous. You know, they called himself Horny Ed and he, he really knew how to pick up girls and get them into bed. And he tried to teach me and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. So I was terrible. So I thought, okay, I'm finally going to learn how to do this. And I'm going to, I went on Amazon to buy, you know, all these books on how to pick up girls and get them into bed, like the mystery method and Neil Strauss's The Game and any other books that I could find about how to be a badass and get laid, right? So um, one of the books was No More Mr. Nice Guy. And I really thought it was going to be, you know, how to, how to seduce women by being a, an asshole. And of course it isn't. It's about how to be, uh, uh, to move out of, you know, kind of passive compliance and into assertiveness and uh, authenticity. And it really just shook up my way of thinking about myself. And so I immediately kind of shift, I kind of threw away, I didn't throw, I stuffed all the other books in a drawer and said, this is what I really want to work on. This really feels like me. This really feels like the way that I want to grow. Hmm. Yeah, one thing I found personally interesting about your book is um, you listed examples of like, if you have this, like uh, one I want to talk about is uh, monogamy with your mother, like a mother mm -hmm. complex. I don't use that term, but, um, uh, and you listed different traits. And I, because when I found uh, Dr. Glover's book, I had already gone through a journey of like going through the pickup world and different men's development. I was pretty okay with women by the time I found his book. I wished I read it a long time earlier, but when I read your book and I was going through this, I was like, oh shit, I have these behaviors. Like I don't have the problem that I used to have, but I still have these behaviors. And I, if I'm honest, like I don't have issues with women that I thought were the issues, but I still have issues, right? Like I still have problems. And I, I was curious, um, I, what your take is on pickup guys who found like quote unquote success, like where they're maybe getting laid, but still have these nice guy issues. If that's something you come across much. Yeah, I do. Well, I can't say much, but I do come across it. And one of the things that happens if you're successful at antidotes, sometimes they feel like that's enough. And what I mean by that is 
all of this stuff, like getting laid a lot, getting rich, getting famous, getting this, that, or the other thing, um, they're antidotes to a deeper emotional problem, which is a kind of a, a sense of low self-worth. And so if I, hey, if I fuck a hundred women or a thousand women, then I feel good about myself. If I make a billion dollars, then I feel good about myself. If I marry this goddess, then I feel good about myself. As opposed to, I feel good about myself and now I'll go out and do these other things. I'll do whatever I mm -hmm. want. And so guys who have been successful with women, they need to find out that they're dealing with antidotes. And mm -hmm. once they do, like you're talking about yourself, yeah, okay, maybe you got laid a lot. Maybe you were very successful and you still discovered a sense of either hollowness, emptiness, low worth, that you're still doing behaviors that don't work. Yeah, I mean, because basically what I, I went on this journey before, like the red pill community was known as the red pill community, but I basically learned how to not be too soft I've maybe have been a little too hard. I mean, I haven't had my heart broken, but I haven't really had the close relationships that I probably want you know, mm -hmm. in my life. And it's been extra, even before I read your book, I was thinking about this because of my recent patterns of like, well, I, I'm not unhappy, but I don't want to do what I'm doing forever. But unlike when I was getting rejected all the time, there wasn't like an acute problem to attack. It was like, well, I just don't want to do this forever. And um, right. I know this is maybe a vague question, but I was wondering how you deal with someone who has like that antidote on top where like, don't, they don't have an acute problem anymore, but they have like a long-term, uh, I, I hope I'm making sense here, but. Yeah, you know, one of, what, what you're reminding me of is that um, my definition of wisdom, which is making better mistakes so there is no such thing as not making mistakes in life. And what you do is you kind of ramp up. So you you're in a much better situation. And you what you're saying is, hey, I'm in a situation that works. It's not where I really ultimately want to go, but it's pretty good. And it's certainly a lot better than where I came from. And I would say, yep, yeah, uh-huh. Um, and you can always go back to this because you know how to do it. The question is, do you want to do something else? And here's where um, something that I'm very, very big on comes in, which is choice. You, everybody gets, I'm a, I'm a kind of an existentialist. And what I believe is you have the freedom to choose. Everybody has the freedom to choose. Even if your choices are very limited, you still have the freedom to, to make that choice. And so you have a choice of two very good options, which is you could stay doing what you're doing and you'll have success with women, but you won't have a close and intimate relationship. Or you can try to take a step towards an intimate relationship. You'll have to give up fucking a lot of women. It's mm -hmm. one or the other because the woman that you're with isn't going to want you to, you know, be sleeping around. They, they don't like that as a rule. Yeah. You know, uh, with, uh, with the hero's journey concept, that is like kind of the spine of your book. Um, 
I have thought like a lot of what red pill teaches, for instance, or a lot of a pickup, most men's coaching for nice guys, especially there's like a stepping stone of becoming an avoidant, like going from anxious to avoidant. And um, you don't want to get stuck there. Like it's way better. I mean, it is way less uh, heartbreaking for a guy to be in an avoidant mode than an anxious mode is why I think a lot of guys go there. But um, to be stuck there for the rest of your life, like you'd look back and realize you missed out on something mm -hmm. really important. Um, but it's hard. It's hard uh, when someone's got like the halfway goal to convince them to let it go. I, that's kind of what I've been feeling the last few years. I've worked my whole life to get to this point and I already want to move on, which is a little frustrating uh, when I think about my journey. Well, wait a minute. I, I, I'm going to challenge you on this one. Sure. What's so frustrating about wanting to continue to grow? It's that you don't get to reap the rewards. You, you could I fuck a so. few more women. I think it is because when I was like really in my pain as like a, a really nice guy, nice guy, like really push over what I imagined was the ultimate result was something that I've experienced now. And I thought this was the, like, once I get here, I'm done. And like, now I got here, it's like, ah, oh, shit, there's like another, there's another peak to climb. Like, God damn, like, I thought I was done. Like, that's, that's the frustration. Huh. Well, you know, I have some good news and some bad news. Right. The good news is you just discovered one of the key pieces of life. The bad news is, yup, you're right. <laughs> it never changes. There is always another peak. There is, um, I think, I, if you got to the end of my book, there's a quote from Bob Dylan that goes, um, he not busy being born is busy dying. And so, um, yep, you, you got to the top of the mountain. I, you can stop and take a rest for a while. But if you get stuck there, you will stagnate. Today's epiphany is tomorrow's banality. And um, you, you got to, you know, stop, enjoy yourself, and then get up, get your backpack on, head for the next peak. Cool. One of the, uh, related to that, one of the chapters I really appreciated, I think it was towards the end, like chapter nine or something on, on picking the right partner, or you talk about mm -hmm. picking the right partner. Um, that, if I'm honest, that's probably my biggest fear. I mean, I think that's probably many guys' fears with commitment or... Um, and that I they'll was, pick the wrong one? Or something like that. Like, uh, I, don't, I didn't mean to just speak about my personal experience, but I hope this is relevant you know to what? everyone. Yeah. <laughs> no, do, do it, do it because that makes this kind of richer and more alive. Cool, cool. Rather um, than just abstract questions, it, it, it's got some emotional heat to it, which, which, is, a, a, which is great. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so something I've noticed in myself was, you know, I went from anxious to being avoidant, maybe been a little too avoidant. Um, and my last couple of relationships, I've gone into them thinking I'm not going to be avoidant. I'm not going to be avoidant. And I've ended up maybe going too far the other way where I was too, I basically like readopted some nice guy issues or I readopted um, like something I've noticed in myself is that in my recent relationships, I've been easily manipulated by guilt, which is something I've mm. tried so hard to not do in like not being a nice guy and holding my boundaries. But now when I do that, I kind of feel like I'm being an asshole again. And I'm like, I don't want to be an asshole. 
Uh, so I, it's, it's, it's been honestly challenging because I'm going back and I'm like trying to do the opposite of my instinct now, but it's putting me back where I was. And I've, this has been the most challenging thing for me um, hmm. in relationships lately. Huh. So you talked about chapter nine. Did you get to chapter 10? It's uh, on assertiveness. Yeah. So, sounds like you keep going back and forth between passivity and aggression or between availability and unavailability. And um, I want, and it sounds like what you're doing is trying to impose a system from the top down or from the outside in. And what I mean by that is I go, you go into a relationship saying, I want to be more this or more that or more avoidant or more accessible or more, as opposed to here I am with this person in this moment in time. What do I really want right now? Hmm. That's all. What do I want? How do I feel? What do I like? What do I want? And just saying it. And like, as I'm looking at you on the screen, you're, you're looking at me very clearly and very directly. And it, you feel very genuine to me, very, very authentic, very honest. And I, I sense, okay, here is this man. I, you know, I, I see him, I trust him. Um, if he said to me, I want this, I would believe him. Mm -hmm. And so it's about coming from the inside um, and feeling your way through life rather than coming from the outside and imposing a system that you and your partner have to fit into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, one thing that clicked for me, I want to talk about the monogamy with your mother chapter. Um, but one thing I noticed when I was reading the list of like, these are behaviors you might have. Um, one thing I realized was even if I have like this, uh, I've learned to be this way outwardly, there is like a insecure boy in me that, and it's caused issues in my recent relationships where I meet someone, I'm trying to be present. I really enjoy them. I open up in kind of an attached, like super romantic way. Cause that's generally what I feel in that moment, but it's maybe coming from a needy place. So she thinks, Oh, he wants to, be together forever but the truth is I didn't like I kind of maybe over became overly emotional because there wasn't part of me like that but then like reality sets in and end up I ended up I've ended up hurting a lot of women unintentionally that way by maybe being too open and then like being oh shit and I I wonder like I guess what, what do you think about that is there a way to heal that piece without ended up ending up causing this pain with women on the outside I think so um and it uh, I, I have two answers. Um, they're both, I, yes. But one of them is you can do it on a deeper level and you can do it at a kind of a kind of present moment level. The deeper level is um, when you get the sense that, oh, I need this woman to make me whole. I need this woman to complete me. I need, oh, this is the one, this is the goddess who holds the key to the kingdom of heaven. And if I get her to love me, if I get her in bed with me, then I'll live happily ever after. And that's what drives so many men and women to like move into 
commitment fast, mm -hmm. like latch on before um, there's this tricky thing with, if I don't think I, if I don't like myself mm -hmm. and I meet a woman, I'm going to try to convince her right away because the longer it takes and the better she gets to know me, the more she's going to see what a loser I am mm -hmm. and the quicker she'll run away. So I need to nail her down before, before she gets wind of the truth. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, that's a story and it isn't true. And so the, the big move ultimately behind all of this is going to be shifting out of this kind of core narrative of, um, of unworthiness, of unlovability. Mm -hmm. The present moment, I have some, uh, the way I think about dating there are three phases. They're not really phases, three aspects, because they're not sequential necessarily, but they are interest, intimacy, and commitment. And I think I talk about them in the book. Interest is, I like, uh, I enjoy, I, I like spending time with you, I like talking to you, I like going out to dinner with you, I'm interested in, in, what you do or, your, or how you sound or what you feel like when I kiss you. This is all interest. I'm interested in you as a person. Intimacy is a slower process of getting to know somebody. Um, interest kind of peaks early. Intimacy takes a long time. Commitment, the third thing, actually is two different things. One is a sense of connection. And the second is a contract. And it's the second meaning of commitment is where people start to get in trouble. Because they offer essentially a contract before one is really appropriate. Mm. You want to get to know somebody before you make a contractual commitment. Um, before you say, let's move in together or let's get engaged or let's get married or I love you and I wanna be with you forever. Before you say that stuff, you might wanna get to know the person, but that's not what people do. That's not what nice guys do. Sir, let's circle back to the idea of if I think I'm unworthy, if I think I'm unlovable, I have to get this woman nailed down fast. So um, before she discovers who I really am. And so I'm like proposing, you know, on our first date where I'm already talking about how we're going to have a wonderful vacation in Tahiti or we're, or what kind of house do you want to live in or what should we name our children? Uh, and if you're at that point, if you're proposing marriage on the first date, um, you're, you're, you're doing commitment before intimacy. Hmm. Well, that and, resonates uh, scaringly well. Um, in my last two relationships, because I was trying so hard to not be avoidant, and I'm so embarrassed to admit it, but we moved in together really quickly. I bought a car with one because I was like, it was, it was actually in the moment where 
I was feeling myself pulling away. I was like, oh, I better do something that would make it painful for me to leave financially. So we bought a car together. Like now I'm stuck. Now I'll stick it out for real. That was a stupid, mm-hmm. I mean, that was among the stupidest things I've done, I think. Um, right. Well, yeah. you could have done one, a, a couple of stupider things like buy a house yeah. or <laughs> have a child. That's what a lot of people do. And that's mm. the big mistake because now it, you are really tied for, for decades. Hmm. So yeah, pay attention to the process of intimacy. So the present moment thing you can do is ask yourself, how well do I really know this person? How um, can I answer questions like, what would she do in this circumstance? Could I trust her in those, in that kind of situation? Um, Do I know that she really cares about me? When the chips are down, will she have my back? Is she a genuinely happy person? How's our sex life, not for the first month or two, how's our sex life two years down the road? Are we compatible emotionally? Do we care about each other? All of these kinds of things, all of these kinds of questions need to be answered. And then you can start to make lifetime commitments. Hmm. What do you say to guys who did make the mistake of having the child too soon or getting married too soon or whatever? Because I mean, at that point, those those are the guys who are probably the most challenged by recovering from nice guy syndrome because they're stuck in something, right? They either have to get divorced or they have to fix a mess that they've created over years. Like, what do you do then? Besides hire a good lawyer? Yeah. (laughs) Or what if they, you know, I mean, many marriages are savable, of course, but it's a very challenging thing if for the last seven years you've conditioned your relationship in a negative way. Yeah, that's right. Um, And what what do you do? And I, I guess what you're talking about is somebody who's still in that marriage, Mm -hmm. let's say married with one or two children um, and they're reasonably young. So one is five and one is three or one is Mm -hmm. six and one is four or something like that. Um, It's a difficult situation. It's a hard one to, to break. Um, And I, I come back to the idea of decisions. For every path that you walk down in life, there's a million other paths that you didn't walk down. And every path that you walk down, you get something and you give something up. So you can stay in the marriage and try your best to improve it. And that to me would be the first step, which is do your nice guy recovery seriously and give your partner a chance to change with you. If need be, get couples counseling. Let her read No More Mr. Nice Guy. Show her how you're trying to change. And 
if she can go along with you, the relationship will improve. And you kind of owe it to your kids and your commitment and your life together and your wife to give that your best shot. Go all the way in and try your best. And then if it doesn't work out, A, you can say, I tried my best. And B, you can leave then in a kind of a, hopefully a guilt-free basis, and you can set up something for your children and with your children that's gonna work. We, we look, we live in a world where more than half of the of first marriages end after four years. So it's, um, it's a world with a lot of divorced people. There's plenty of institutions in place for that. And so you try your best and if it doesn't work, you're going to have to cut the cord. Is there uh, certain signs you look for, like a point where like, okay, if these things happen, it's time to get divorced? Yeah. Um, specifically with regard to nice guy recovery, you watch, I would watch for my wife's reactions to the changes I was making. So does she support them? Is she excited about them? Uh, is she working with me? Or is the relationship improving as a result of it? Or is she fighting? Is she resistant? Um, uh, or uncooperative? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a quick story. I, I, I use as in my therapy, when nice guys would come and one of the first things that I had them do, which is a big way out of nice guy syndrome, is to get in touch with what you want. You can't take the lead and set the tone, which is what Robert Glover talks about, if you don't know what you want. Um, I'm sorry, I have a little noise in the background. There's a boat going by. And in order to do that, um, you get hold of what you want, and then you come and you announce it. And then when you announce it, you see what your partner has to say. And then you negotiate from there. And so I like to use restaurants. It's kind of low key, like, what do you want for dinner? Nice guys always go, well, what do you want for dinner? Right? And uh, oh, you want Italian? I'll take you for a day. All right. So I have them say, okay, they go off by themselves, they figure out what they want, they come to the partner and say, honey, I want Italian tonight and see what the partner says. So this guy, he was doing that. And he, the first time he did it, he went to his wife and he said, honey, I want to go to this Italian restaurant tonight. And she said, I don't want Italian food. So, cause I've, cause I had trained him, right? I had worked with him. I, he knew what to do next. The next step is, okay, honey, I'll tell you what, we'll go where you want tonight. And then on Friday night, we'll go to the Italian place I want to go to. And she said, fine. So they went off to whatever they had, sushi or whatever. Come Friday night, he said, okay, we're going to the Italian restaurant. And she said, no. At that point, to me, the relationship's over. Mm -hmm. 
because I have a woman, I have a partner who just lied to me mm-hmm. and will not keep her commitments. Mm-hmm. Now, I might not, I'm not going to walk out the door. And in fact, he had a small child. He had a, like a three-year-old son that he mm-hmm. loved. And so he wasn't going to leave the marriage. Um, and um, uh, so you could work on that. You could say, hey, look, if it's me, I'm going to say something like, you know, wait a minute, we made an agreement and um, it really, it hurts me and it pisses me off that we made an agreement and you're not honoring it. A woman did that to me I, and I was married to her with a child and I wasn't ready to just simply walk out the door. If I was dating, that would be the last time this woman ever saw me. But the, um, um, I would say to her, if I were married to her, I would say, look, honey, we had a, an agreement and you're not abiding by it. And that really hurts me and it pisses me off and it makes me unable to trust you. And I can't stay in a relationship with someone that I can't trust. So if you're not going to live by your agreements, then we have a very big problem that we need to work on. And I, the next step of course is, and if we can't work on it and if we can't fix it, then the relationship is over. Because mm-hmm. I won't be in a relationship with someone I can't trust. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would say similar things to guys out there is, can you make the relation, take a look at the problems and, and take a look at your part. Don't worry about her part, clean up your side of the street, work on yourself and see if things get better. And if they get better, stick around. If they don't get better, it might be time to send the relationship to a long overdue grave. Mm-hmm. What do you say to guys? This is actually, it was a topic in my men's Facebook group where a lot of guys recognize, oh, okay, I, need to, I need to figure out what I want. I've been living for other people my whole life, but a bunch of guys have commented like, I've lived my entire adult life, my entire life for other people. I can't figure out what I want. Like one guy was posting about how he can't even decide what socks to buy because he's always deferred to someone. What do you say to someone who's in that position? I don't know if I want to tell him. That might be my next book, it's, which will be called Reanimating Desire. Um, you know, get, getting a, you know, finding out what you want, getting a better life as a result. Um, and uh, so what I tell people is this. Um, um, the f- start at a very low level, like what kind of socks you want to buy or what, what kind, where to go for dinner. So this is always my favorite because um, most guys, like anybody you're talking to has not starved to death, right? So therefore, when they've been left alone, they figured out what they wanted to eat. So they're capable at a basic level of asking themselves what they want, right? So they, they can do it. But it's much harder in the company of somebody else. And there's reasons for that that I won't go into. But um, when 
it comes time for, you know, what movie do you want to see or what dinner, where do you want to, what restaurant do you want to go to? We all kind of collapse. Like, I, I just can't do it, right? Okay. So what I tell people is go off by yourself somewhere. Lock yourself in the bedroom. Lock yourself in the bathroom. Go sit in your car. Take a drive. Take a walk. Walk the dog. Do something. Get away. Get away from all other human beings. And ask yourself, what do I want in this situation? If this other person, you don't fall in the trap of what, I go off by myself and try to figure out what she would want. Or say something like, oh, I want, oh, she would never want that. Don't do that. Ask yourself, what would you want if she did not exist? Or if this were your last day on earth, what would you want? If this were your last day on earth, what socks do you want to die in? <laughs> if this was your last meal before they took you to the electric chair, what would you want to have tonight? And don't, you're not allowed to emerge from isolation until you have that answer. Mm -hmm. So a lot of guys try to figure this out quickly or they like, you like the guy who said, I can't figure out what socks to buy. He was probably standing in a store. And so he felt a lot of pressure. He doesn't, he's not going to take an hour to, to, you know, and lock himself in the dressing room to figure out what socks to buy. Right. So, and he might be there with his, his wife or his girlfriend who's going, you know, uh, oh, I want to get to the dress department. So, um, it takes time. So you need to take the time, whether it's uh, 15 minutes, an hour, whatever it takes, take the time. And then, and, and that, in the beginning, it'll take an hour to figure out, oh my God, I don't know what I want. <laughs> then it takes a half hour. Then it takes 10 minutes. And finally, you can go, let's go have sushi. It's, there's a learning curve, but the learning curve, um, it, it will help you um, little by little get better and better at this. And so that's how you have to start doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For our, our, our first subtopic, I, um, something I've noticed in my like back and forth with nice guyness is in my shorter term relationships or more casual relationships, I've gotten a common complaint from women that we always do what you want to do. And like, it usually comes in like some time down hmm. the road. Like we always like, we're always doing what you want to do. And I don't think much of it cause I'm just doing what I want to do. It's what I've learned to do. Oh, good. And then, okay. uh, but then I ended up like, she ends up getting really resentful at me. And then when I'm in a committed relationship where I'm trying not to be avoidant, I'm trying so hard not to do that. I end up deferring all the time. This might be the same answer as before, but is there something you'd give a guy who's like maybe going to both extremes? Well, you're going, right. You're going to both extremes. So, um, so there's some dynamic in operation where you can play both sides. You can be the agreeable, compliant one, or you can be the, the pushy boss. Um, but it sounds like, uh, and one of them is passive and one is aggressive, but you can't be assertive. Mm -hmm. 
passive people, if I'm passive, my needs don't count, only yours. If I'm aggressive, only my needs count and my wants, not yours. If you're assertive, both of our needs count and you have to learn how to do it. So it's kind of like, here's what I want, what do you want? Mm -hmm. And I wanna hear what you want. And then I want us to talk about um, what we both want and figure it out together. So that if you want Chinese and I want Italian, I really, really do want us both to get what we want in some way. Um, so let, we can have Chinese tonight and Italian tomorrow or Italian tonight and Chinese tomorrow. We can go to the food court and you can have Italian and I'll have Chinese or we can mm -hmm. go to, we can say, fuck that. We can both go and have burgers or pizza or we could like, we'll figure it out. But both people's wants have to emerge rather than one dominating the other. And if the needs are emerging and it's still happening, then somebody's really dominating the other. And if a woman said to me, we always do what you want, I would stop and go, okay, let's look at that. Mm -hmm. How is that happening? One of the things that I like push really hard for everybody is curiosity. It is one of the great attitudes of life. I'm curious as to how this is happening. Am I, am I bullying her? Am I saying it so loudly that her wants don't get heard? Is there a way that there's a subtle threat that I'm not going to love her if she doesn't go along with me? What's going on here that this is happening? I'm very curious. Hmm. So it reminds me of like the leadership principle of um, identifying with the group instead of individuals, like getting out of that zero sumness. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm thinking though now, I mean, again, from my personal experience, is that I've been with in those situations where I'm maybe steamrolling by accident. Uh, it's always in my assumptions that if she didn't want to do it, she would tell me, but she's not, she, maybe she has a nice girl syndrome and it could be, you know, it could be my selection process that I'm picking anxious people to match my bad pattern. But I was wondering if, uh, like, what if you're dating someone who is being a nice girl or she's not meeting you? Like, do you train your partner or what do you say to guys in those situations? Well, yeah, what I would say is, um, and this is really kind of true, a lot of nice guys, nice, in my ex experience, nice guys tend to date two kinds of women. They date nice girls and they date bitches. Um, you know, pushy, emotionally reactive women or compliant women, aggressive women or passive women. Because they're either passive or aggressive. Some nice guys are just wedded to compliance and passivity. So they will always pretty much date uh, uh, dominant women. Um, but some, some guys like you and me go back and forth. And um, what I would say is the, the best thing you can do is um, shift out of that into a more assertive approach and then and see whether the woman can go with you. Hmm. Um, 
Uh, I would say like right now I'm dating somebody who has a tendency to be passive and compliant. And so I am, I work to make sure that she says what she wants if she can. So, cause I know she has that tendency and I really do want to help her to fight against it. So if I say I want, you know, Italian food, and she says, okay, I don't simply accept it. I say, you said that really fast. Do you actually want Italian food? I know I want Italian food, but do you? And that prompts her to think about, you know, I say, take your time. There's no rush. You can take an hour if you want and think about what you want. It's okay with me. I can wait. I won't die of hunger. And then she'll, she'll, she'll actually kind of think about what she wants. And then I hear what she wants. And then we can work on it together. Hmm. So I encourage that. Yeah, something because, is done, done. Go ahead, sorry. Can I, one more. Everything is co-created in a relationship. So if I'm a nice guy and I have an emotionally dominant woman, I've helped create her dominance by being such a, a doormat. Hmm. And if I'm getting what I want all the time and she's going along with it, uh, I've created her going along with it. And she's helped create my getting what I want all the time. So uh, in addition to curiosity is communication. Hey, let's talk about this. Let's talk about how this is happening between us. That's actually the best thing to do. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, something that's dawned on me in the recent years is that uh, how secure your partner is, is largely how you interact with them. Like, you can, mm. I guess, the goal is to make each other secure, find ways to make each mm. other secure. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I never, I mean, yeah, I never, I mean, I guess I haven't really done it outside of the bedroom, but certainly during Me Too and since then, I've been, like, overly communicative about consent and, like, you have to really say yes, you know, I mean, for many reasons, but I, I mean, this is a principle that I guess works or is important for everything, even dinner. Right. Agreed. And particularly with sex, because um, it's so loaded emotionally. But it goes along with what both Dr. Glover and I uh, agree, which is um, take your time. Wait on the sex. Not because of some kind of thing like, oh, it'll feel much better when you do. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about has to do with the idea that uh, goes back to intimacy and commitment. You've got to get to know somebody. Having sex with somebody kind of, it forms an attachment that you might not actually want to have. Mm -hmm. So, um, um, so by the time, I've never had a problem with this because by the time I'm ready to have sex, the woman is trying to have sex with me. Mm -hmm. I'm, I may actually keep her away for a little longer than she wants mm -hmm. because uh, I still want to get to know her. Mm -hmm. Women have the same emotional issues as men. So you take a, a, a woman who doesn't like herself that much, she may be throwing herself at you because she wants to get loved and she doesn't 
she doesn't want you to see that she thinks she's a loser. And so if she, you know, if she climbs into bed with you, then there's an attachment and oh boy, we're in it now. Mm-hmm. So um, take your time. That's what I would say. Then you don't have to worry about me too. You don't have to worry about consent because the sex will be desired by her, by both of you. Hmm. I want to talk about child development. Um, but actually, maybe before we get to that, I had mentioned it twice. Could you speak about the monogamy with your mother concept? Because I think this is one of the sure. uncomfortable things that I think are very important, especially to this generation of men. Yeah, and it's also, um, it's really uncomfortable and not very well understood, I think. It, of all the ideas in Robert's book, it, it's the one that I think people have the hardest time both grasping and wrestling with. And the way I understand it has to do with this idea that um, I'm going to use a, we're on camera, right? So Mm -hmm. I can use a visual metaphor, Mm -hmm. right? So when you are born, let's say you are unformed, this is an unformed baby and Mm -hmm. it's, it can be any shape, right? And it comes into an environment because the family pre-exists the child, right? So if the environment looks like this, the child will look like this. If the environment looks like this, the child will look like this. If it's like this, the child looks like this, right? And now, if you have an environment that looks like this and you kind of fit in, right? When you leave that environment, you are gonna look like this. If you meet somebody that looks like this, there's no connection, no connection, no connection. But if you meet somebody that looks like this, there's a connection. So the monogamy to mother is thisness. It's the the way that you were formed and the way that you, that's right, to match your mother and the way, the fact that when you go out in the world, you are, this means connection to you. This does not mean connection. This means love. This does not mean love. This means attachment. This does not mean attachment. And so you are looking for something that you had. To take one more step, and this is a deeper step, you are looking for something you had when you were very, very small, like from birth. Mm-hmm. That the relationship between a mother and an infant is profound. And there is a sense of connection and care and nurturance from a helpless baby to be taken care of by a loving mother. So I'm wet, she makes me dry. I'm hungry, she feeds me. I'm cranky, she calms me. I'm tired, she rests me, puts me to sleep. And I'm, there's a, some deep well of memory of that, that on a, 
on an uh, adult emotional level, the equivalent of that, a woman who takes me into her bed, a woman who kisses me, who wraps me up in her arms, who tells me that she loves me and that I connect with like this, makes me feel on a very deep level, that sense of primal connection. And so we are always looking for to match what we had. That's the way we know what love looks like. Hmm. And is the idea that nice guys have like a, a more like solid form and like other people don't, they can mix up and connect with other women? No, I think it's that nice guys, um, part, of, part of what, not that, nice guys always come from a family where the mother is dominant, but there's, I think, a greater sense of attachment to the mother. Children tend to attach more to one parent or the other, mm -hmm. and m nice guys in some way tend to be more emotionally attached to their mothers than their fathers and in certain ways are trying to be different from their father. So if the mm -hmm. father was absent, they're trying to be present. If the father was angry, they're trying to be kind. If uh, the father was uh, a workaholic, they are nurturing. If the father didn't pay any mm -hmm. attention, they're all ears. Uh, to help the mother who's actually struggling with the father. So in a sense, a lot of nice guys get get trained that way by mothers who aren't getting what they need from fathers mm. and the child kind of fits in there mm. well, that resonates i definitely have spent much of my growth trying to be the opposite of my dad mm. semi-consciously and uh yeah um so I mean, I don't mean to open up a whole thing, but like for a guy who identifies this in himself, or I'll give my, my personal example. I, I have noticed that um, probably the type of woman that is rationally best for me, I often don't find super compelling. Uh, maybe it's, it's a maybe overly general way to put it, but I tend to be drawn to women that are probably not the best thing, but they fit something. Um, what do you what do you say to a guy who just keeps being drawn to clearly the wrong woman or something like that? Or they genuinely find uh, a negative trait to be attractive for some reason. So, of course, you want to take a look at what are the negative traits that, or the traits that you're calling negative that are drawing you. And you have to be curious and you have to ask yourself, what's so great about these traits that I think of as negative? And I can't tell you the number of times I've said to one of my patients, you know, what's so great about this thing that you keep being attracted to? Because um, it looks pretty terrible to me. And they say, oh yeah, it's terrible. There's nothing good about it. And I say, there's gotta be because you keep doing it. You keep going there. I've read the brochure. It's not very appealing. So we're like, what are you doing? And they say, no, 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 it's terrible. And I say, bullshit. 
and then we start to look at it. And then what we discover is whatever it is that they're talking about that they think of as negative has a lot of hidden positive, a lot of hidden attractive power. It may not rationally be positive. It may not be good for me, but it sure feels good in a certain way. And B, oftentimes, you can wind up in the same negative place because you don't know any other way to go. Here, here's a, you know, I haven't talked about this in a while. So here's a, a metaphor that I came up with one day that I really like, a visual metaphor. You're in the jungle, right? And you're in a clearing in the jungle and you want to get to the city. You got to get out of the jungle, get to the city, right? And you look around and there are, there's no way to go except in one direction where there is a wide, well-lit superhighway. So you go down the superhighway to the city and suddenly the highway ends and you fall off the edge into a swamp and you're bitten by mosquitoes and the crocodiles and the snakes are coming and you jump out and you run back to the clearing, right? And you say to yourself, well, that didn't work. I must have missed a turn off, right? And so I go down and I'm looking for the turnoff. And as I'm looking for the turnoff, I fall into the swamp again. I go back and I just keep going down the same road because I'm trying to get someplace. And I don't, um, and the, the, this is the only place it leads. Mm. So the, then the question is, so how do you get out of the jungle and into the city? The answer is you must go through the jungle. It's dark, it smells bad, it's fucking scary. There are There's shit in there that can eat you, but that's how you have to go. You have to go in a different direction, whether you like it or not. And that's what's going to help you to not go to the places that you've been going. Yeah. I do you mind if we go a little over the hour? I have just a couple. So yeah, sure. Okay. Go, go yeah, ahead. The, the, the pattern that I've noticed in myself, and I've like, I'm like, I can't believe this is a thing for me. But uh, the women I've ended up committing to or trying to commit to have been like really angry feminists, like man hating to some degree. And I mm -hmm. recognize like, why do I always end up with these women? I think there's some part of me, or maybe some ego side that's like, well, if I can put an angry feminist in her feminine that must be and I'm a masculine guy like I think that's I, I think for my own self-analysis I think that's what I've been going for like this is proof mm -hmm. that I'm a cool dude if I can make an angry woman like me and um and I didn't even realize that I've equated anger at men with confidence like that's just what I've drawn to mm -hmm. which obviously is not the case mm -hmm. but um I I've so I guess the jungle for me is not being drawn to anger but to be honest like whenever i meet a woman who's angry i just like kind of assume she must be a high value woman like it just like before I, it's okay conscious yeah all right so there it is right there's part of it there's two parts right there one is angry women equal high value anger equals high value and the second is uh 
if I can put an angry woman into her feminine, if which means transforming her, right, then uh, I must be a cool dude. And I would add, um, feminism is a particularly um, um, seductive thing for nice guys, a seductive approach. Let's go back to the fact that you spent a lot of time being different from your father, which probably means being um, taking care of your mother and making her happy in some kind of a way. Um, um, yes, no? Uh, kind of. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I mean, I, I've been avoidant with my mom, too, as a young man. But. Okay. Um, I'm thinking much younger. I don't mean okay. as a young man, uh, as a boy. As a, yeah, I guess so. As an eight-year-old yeah. boy or a nine-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. um, um, and, and the same, so there's the monogamy to mother. You're doing the same thing with angry feminist women. Like, I'm going to be the one who's different. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the one you can't get angry at because mm -hmm. I'm so cool. I'm going to be the one who isn't like all of the other men that you're complaining about or writing about or, you know, posting about. I'm going to be the special one. Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, that resonates for sure. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't, it might resonate, but it doesn't work. Right. Yeah, yeah. I tried it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and it's, so uh, in point of fact, um, it actually has the opposite effect they either run over you or they complain about you. And then what happens is you start to, to twist yourself into a pretzel shape to prove that you're not like other men. That eventually happened in my last relationship. I, initially I was like, haha, I did it. She doesn't hate me. She doesn't hate men. She's seeing another way of looking at things, but then to ensure that she's maintained that perception of me, I started cutting corners on my own, boundaries and things like that mm -hmm. um, right yeah yeah and it, it to me that doesn't work what again what works is uh owning that you have uh qual you have bad qualities as well as good qualities mm -hmm. i think i i have a section in the book uh, in which i quote the great sage james brown who said mm -hmm. you got to get down with your bad self mm -hmm. In other words, you've got to own all the part. This is what being an integrated male is. It's not being a good guy. Mm -hmm. It's being a complete person. There's a Roman playwright, famous Roman playwright named Terentius, who said, nothing that is human is foreign to me. So I, it, so everything that you can name is part of me, is I'm capable. I'm capable of you know, happiness and sadness. I'm capable of love and lust and hate and self-hatred and greed and malice and spite and venom and stupidity and ignorance and limitations and everything else. And not only am I capable of it, I do it all the time. 
the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. And that's what being integrated means. It means accepting all of it and understanding that this is who I am. Yeah. So some of my friends who I, I talk about this stuff with, I mean, they, they kind of tease me and they're like, you know, there are women out there who won't guilt trip you and just like, like you the way you are. And it, it's been kind of like, uh, like, obviously that's true, but it's been a thing that I just, I think, assumed didn't exist for all the reasons we discussed. Uh, that's because you went to antidotes. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you, and, and I believe me, I got nothing against antidotes. Like if, if I were, better at picking up women and getting laid when I was younger, I would have been much happier. So I got nothing against the antidote. Mm. Some of them are bad. I don't like alcoholism and drug abuse, you know, but um, um, the, if you, if you get past underneath the antidotes and if you didn't have antidotes and you were still the insecure boy it's, it's the insecurity that's the issue another way to understand the insecurity is i don't like myself very much i'm scared of what the world is going to see or what it's going to do to me mm -hmm. and so when i deal with the underlying insecurity then I can be okay, then somebody, then I like me or I accept me. And then when somebody else accepts me, um, then we, then I can accept the acceptance. I can accept somebody loving me just for me being who I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, <laughs> Uh, I have a lot to think about, I think, after this conversation, so I appreciate this. Um, uh, the last thing I, I wanted to make sure we spoke about is so much of this goes back to childhood, right? Um, parent, uh, parental patterns, things, I mean, most psychology uh, has that assumption. What do you suggest to the parents of young boys or young people to ensure, to raise them in a way that they don't develop this way? Is it playing sports? Is it treating them a certain way? Like, how does one model that? and prevent such patterns in a person later in life? Hmm, good question. I personally, me being me, yes, sports is helpful, reading is helpful, education is helpful, all of that stuff is helpful. Um, but to me, the single most important thing that a parent can do um, is emotional understanding. It's to be able to help the child by help by getting them to articulate what they feel, what they want, and um, and hear it and understand it, and help the child to live in a world in which his being, his voice is heard and his being is recognized, his feelings are honored for what they are, and they come to live in a world of other people's feelings. Now, I wanna be clear about something because I can already hear parents going, um, you mean I'm supposed to give this kid everything he wants? No, absolutely not. But you're supposed to hear what child wants and not punish him for wanting it. Mm 
-hmm. Everything is okay to want, right? Um, the problem is, what do you do when um, uh, the child uh, uh, wants something or does something you don't like? How can you honor their feelings and also not give it to them? And the answer is to hear it and to say, yes, I hear that you want it and I think it's a cool thing to want. I, I'm not going mm. to give that to you. Um, um, and I get it that you're going to feel bad. And that's part of life. And children can learn that they can not get what they want and they will survive. Um, so that they don't have to take drastic action, like turn to alcohol or something. Oh, did, I read a story. By the way, things are getting dark and uh, I'm... Uh, I can still see you fine. Okay, great. Yeah. So... Um, uh, um, I read a story in the newspaper the other day. A five-year-old was driving a car from Arizona to Los Angeles when he was stopped by the police. Hmm. And um, they asked him, what are you doing, right? And they said, he said, I'm, I'm going to Los Angeles because to Beverly Hills, because I want a Lamborghini. <laughs> Apparently, he'd asked his mother for a Lamborghini and she, she didn't really handle it all that well. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and so he said, that's it. I, and he got in the car and he started driving to Los Angeles. He was just driving a little slowly, that's all. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, something that's clicking for me now is, uh, I think per your, your, your last point, I probably grew up assuming that I can't like what it's not okay to want what I want. So I mm -hmm. either separate myself or I change what I want to match the supposedly loving environment, um, mm -hmm. which maybe is what a lot of guys do. Yeah. And I, I tell you what I did personally that helped me. I, a lot of people throw around the word need and the, as a synonym for want, but it's very different. Mm -hmm. So need is always like, to me, it's always like in order to, like I need X, I need air in order to breathe, or I, I need a car in order to get to uh, the store, right? And I need to put gas in the car to make the car go. Okay. Um, but a lot of people use the word need in an emotional context. I need you to love me. I need, I need you to care whether I, you know, get an A on my report card. That's not a need, that's a want. Mm -hmm. And I switched a lot of this stuff to want. I want Chinese food. I need food in order to survive, but I don't need Chinese food. Mm -hmm. I can eat anything and survive. I want Chinese food. And by switching from need to want, it has a different emotional impact. So if I say to you, you know, interpersonally, if I say to you, I need this from you and you don't give it to me, fuck you. What kind of friend are you? Mm -hmm. But if I say, I want this from you and you say, no, I, I don't want to give that to you. All right. I could live with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, the, uh, 
the words I want, that's kind of what started the whole, uh, what, what socks should I buy thread in my group? Because I was saying like, when you say I want, you're declaring your desire as its own thing that's valuable. You don't need to have an external reason of why people should mm-hmm. give it to you. It's just, this is what you want. And you have to stand that's by right. that. Right. Yeah. That's a good, I want is a good enough reason. And I yeah. don't want, I don't, that's a good enough reason for doing something. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Michael, this has been great. I've, uh, I really appreciate this. Um, loved your book. Uh, comes out July 14th. Is that right? Yes, it does. Thank uh, you very on, much. Yeah. On Amazon and everywhere else, anywhere else. Uh, people it, can find no, right now it's just Amazon, but okay. um, it's, I think it's not exclusive. So it, it, um, it'll probably wind up on uh, Barnes and Noble and other, you know, bookseller, other distribution places. Awesome. And it's coming out. Definitely, the ebook is already set. The paperback will probably make it by July 14th. If not, it'll be a week later. Okay. And then I just got signed to do an audio book, and that'll be down a couple of months from now. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again. This has been great. My pleasure.